everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NR1990s, the podcast where we're ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s and maybe even discussing the fizzers of two tans while we're at it. I'm your host, Natalie, and with me as always is my co-host, Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? Pretty good. Just fought a chimpanzee and a bulldozer. Yeah, and let's just not give any context for that. Nope. No, um, none at all. All right, so... Um, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about another album from 1990, um, and that is the self-titled debut album by The Laws. All right, so The Laws did put out a few compilation albums, and they're actually apparently back together, sort of. There's a fuck ton of content on Spotify for this band that only released one album. Well, that that was so. That's kind of the history of The Laws. Uh, Everyone knows the song There She Goes. That's the song that finally, after being released as a single like three times from 1988 to 1991, it finally charted as a single. Um, so, and that's the reason you only really know that song is that they are very clearly a one-hit wonder. Uh, they started in 83 and were very Jangle Pop inspired, uh, very Liverpoolian in their focus. And and according to Mike Badger, who founded the band, their biggest inspiration was Captain Beefheart, which has to have been a joke. It really does, because they sound way more like the Kinks. They, they sound nothing like Captain Beefheart. <laughs> it's like, we wanted a Captain Beefheart, and oops, we turned into some Beatles also run. Yeah, it, they are... They're the stiffle Beatles. Like, and there is some Kinks in there, too. You're this, right there's a fair that, amount of Kinks. Yeah. It's it's so 60s Brit rock, though, for the most part. And really, uh, and I'm not going to say that they were a, a chief inspiration on why this sound picked up and carried on through the 90s, but I think the the way that There She Goes hit uh, was a time where people were already taking this like 60s nostalgia to heart, and that's why you had that like vague go-go-ness towards the late 90s. But yeah. I think this album is super good, despite it being a mess. Like, it's... Well, so there, um... It, like, it was weird to... I'm not sure how influential they were. I mean, I know, like... I mean, I think Oasis might have cited them as an influence. Uh, Morrissey liked them. And clearly copied what he liked about their sound. But for 1990, this, like, could not have been more out of fashion for the British music scene. I mean, 90 was the height of Madchester and the Stone Roses, and I'm not saying Stone Roses were a Madchester band, but you know what I mean. Like, and this doesn't sound, you know, this is way more stripped back and, you know, again, skiffle-y. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's very, like, four guys, like, playing their guitars kind of music than, than like, these huge sort of more studio creation bands like Happy Mondays or the Stone Roses or even James was not, you know, James was more by, by 1990, you know, they were, they had a way bigger sound than this. Yeah. And there she goes is really an outlier on this, on this album. It's like, the most produced of any song on the album. <laughs> yeah. That and timeless melody, which are the two big singles off this album were the ones that had the most production and sounded the most of their time. Um, you know, I, I said last week when you said we were doing this one, um, 
that I, you know, I bought this back when, you know, because I liked There She Goes so much and like hated the rest of the album, which is not how I felt about it listening to it now. I liked it a lot more. It's way more in sync and cohesive. Like There She Goes definitely stands out, but it's cohesive with the rest of their sound. It's just the nicest and I think the most like effort went into that song because that was the song that finally broke as a single. Yeah, and uh, like Timeless Melody, just to hang out on that song for a minute because it's my other favorite on the album the i you know this is a basic bitch album for me i like the two singles i I don't like the deep cuts as much but timeless melody is very stone roses you know kind of a little bit shoegazy like i mean it still has that jangle but it's there's more effects on it it's dreamier and fuzzier and and the same with there she goes it's pretty dreamy and yeah and they they play with the way that their music comes across almost track to track because this is largely a compilation of their entire career up to this point. Uh, they, a good half of this album was previously recorded in the eighties or written and performed in the eighties. Yeah. It was written between 86 and 87. Yeah. But it's like, but that's because they were kind of just doing a touring band thing and performing the same few songs and the same few songs. And I, it's so crazy thinking about how this band does sound good and it's a sound that's really their own at the time. It doesn't it's not commercially successful, but like I think that problem is what like what you said it being out of out of place for the scene was probably why they spent the better part of a decade fighting what their sound was. They wanted to make this jangle pop band and then other mu- the musicians in the band that got frustrated that they weren't being more successful left and started more successful bands and it's like geez yeah and what kind of killed the band was their bassist um john power quit kind of at the height of their popularity Mm -hmm. and said he was sick of playing you know he was like we've been playing the same set since 1986 and i'm bored and i mean that seems weird to have quit you know right as they broke big and were obviously in line for more opportunities because there she goes was this massive hit um, yeah, and and when we say massive hit, it's actually not the biggest hit on this list ever. But you've heard this song, oh, and yeah. you probably also heard my my two favorite uh, songs of the album are actually "Feeling." Yeah, the "Feeling's" probably my third favorite after yeah. after "Timeless Melody," and there she is, and then "Freedom Song," which is the least surprising thing ever. <laughs> I was Shut definitely up. thinking of you when listening to that one because it's <laughs> like plucked from a decemberists album <laughs> or like a you know like dark cabaret almost like that is the biggest outlier on the album that sounds nothing like anything else on on the record but dark cabaret in that in that style like things that verge more towards you know jangle pop came out of jangle and chamber pop because they were picking the songs from the beatles and the songs uh, from the kinks and the songs from the zombies that all had a kind of vibe and then it just filtered into this other influence you're gonna hate me for this but when i first listened to freedom song all i could think of was saucy jack from spinal tap <laughs> that's fine <laughs> just because it's a british band doing it and kind of a you know a somewhat failed british band <laughs> <laughs> but i mean but i feel this album just has so many ideas and so much potential for what they could have done like this is one of those bands that like when I've listened to everything you can listen to on Spotify, I was just like, 
I need more. I, I wish they had done more. And like, cause like the sound adds so much potential. And imagine if they had been still cranking this out alongside Oasis, you know, like, Oh was- yeah. Like, I mean, there's potential that they could have been like a massively famous band had they stuck it out. Um, and especially because, uh, looking glass, the last song on the album, that's like a total Beals drug jam, you know, yes. it's, it's like, but it, it's, good <laughs> it's kind of like again to throw back to a recent album we ranked like uh when i was saying you know pavement did like a long druggy psych jam but it's a good one that's how i feel about this it's like the song that just won't end and keeps getting bigger and bigger <laughs> but, but it keeps getting bigger and bigger which is where like for example oasis failed at that you know they would try to do these songs that just keep building and building and building but really all it's doing is repeating itself yeah, it just elongates it. And Looking Glass doesn't do that. It starts with like just an acoustic guitar, and it actually builds, and then it starts doing these tempo shifts and getting faster toward the end. And and yeah, it does get bigger and bigger and noisier, and, and again, very but, but out of character. But bigger should be a fuller thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, by the end, it's pretty out of control. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of a drum solo and, and like a bunch of guitar noise, but like it has built to that f- from... A song <laughs> yeah and that i mean like these guys are good songwriters or and they they were good songwriters and then did sadly little with that and it's just i think it's just inner inner you know band politics and situations and i think by the end of it it was really just everyone was tired and it was going to be a conflict of people just being like we could be doing so much else that is more of the time than keeping with this one idea but i wish they had because like I I I want to I want to live in the world in which the laws were super successful, and then all of the weird '90s throwback music now is like all Oasis and the laws. But then Oasis would have had to make their sound more polished to compete with the, how polished the laws were when it came to actual song construction. And you're like, oh, this would have been. I don't need to think about alternate realities in music. <laughs> and actually being able to write decent lyrics. Yes. I mean, these aren't like the greatest songs ever lyrically, but, but they're not bad either. Yeah. They're, you know, There She Goes is, is funny because it's a total Vaseline song where it's literally like, what, two lines that they repeat yeah. over and over for the whole song. That just It's actually like more slight than, than a Vaseline song, which, you know... I, I like the Vaseline's musically a lot, but goddamn, write more than one verse for your songs that you just sing over and over. But like, there she goes, you don't even notice it. I mean, that song's like practically an instrumental. Mm-hmm. Like, not that there's not singing throughout the whole song, because there is, but like, it doesn't matter. Like, he just says, there she goes. There she goes again. There she goes again. <laughs> there she goes again and again. And, she and, just keeps going. <laughs> but I, I like the the way that filmmakers have been able to play with that song in just like situations because it's a song that's written perfectly that it, it invokes exactly what it's trying to give. It's like it's this whimsy, whimsical, dreamy sound, and like there she goes, and it's clearly like someone maybe pining for somebody. Oh yeah, no, or... it's it's like it captures that feeling so well. That like in the moment of of like feeling that way about someone, you're not composing you know sonnets to them in your head. You're thinking, "Oh man, there she goes." And that's why some effective poetry and songwriting can also just be very effective within its frame. And in music, the frame is the is the music. So 
Yeah, and music can just be pure emotion, which is kind of what that song is. Exactly. There's not really an intellectual (laughs) component to There She Goes. Which is another reason they deserve to be a much more successful band, because any band that can actually do that, I mean, everyone can to some degree, but bands that do it so sharply like this, like it's a song that you, if, if this song comes on and you're in it some kind of way, it will mess with you. (laughs) <laughs> did you um did you listen to the different producer versions of it? I did, yeah. Yeah, I thought that so John uh Session? John Lecky was the the producer on some of the songs and he did the Stone Roses self-titled album and mm-hmm. he did the Bends by Radiohead. So like much more in the uh, much more fashionable producer. Yes. <laughs> um, well, they had, like, and like on that version, it's basically the, the the alternate versions are basically the same, but they're just mixed differently. But the the major change on that ver- version is that the drums have this huge reverb on them, and the vocals have this huge reverb on them, and it makes it it almost sounds like the song "Life in a Northern Town" by Dream Academy. Wow. <laughs> that's a, I know that's a pull, but like. It's so big and and like spacious in a different way, and the the actual version that made the album and got released as a single is very tight and jingly, which I know it sounds contradictory, but I'm thinking of the drums. The drums are very close and oh, small yeah. sounding on on it, and then you have the sort of jangle jangly guitar and the chimey lead guitar and and the simple vocals. Um, but hearing it with this much bigger reverb sound, it was just so much more. like so much more of its time because it does sound so much more like the stone roses when they Mm -hmm. record it that way um and they just didn't want to sound that way i mean like they really did want to strip down sound they wanted it's like i believe the drummer had like a ridiculous like 60s drum kit was like yeah silver glitter like they were in they were in on it (laughs) yeah they they were very committed to their 60s 60sness you know what and i appreciate a good love of aesthetic and like just stick with it and then sometimes it doesn't work but you know what they they went out doing exactly what they intended to do which was make that kind of music and i think this album deserves more consideration and understanding now and just with sort of that grim historian's view of what could have been yeah, it plays much better now than it did in 1990 for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I I hated it back back in the day, and and I wouldn't say I love it now, but it's I appreciate it way more than I did. I, I mean, find myself putting random songs from it on playlists just when it strikes a mood because they are very good at like mood setting. Yeah, and even some of the singles and just unreleased stuff that came later, like same vibe. Yeah, and like I'm not gonna lie, I. It, like there she goes is, i think is one of the best songs of the 90s like mm-hmm. i i've never gotten tired of that song i can i still listen to it regularly and just fucking love it every time like it, it's just it's a completely overplayed overcovered overdone song that i've just never gotten the least bit tired of and it just feels like the 90s it's, it's just so pure and simple and pretty and perfect <laughs> And, and and really for me it 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 invokes this nostalgia vibe of the '90s in a very warm way. It's not like oh the '90s. More just like what did spring in 1994 feel like? You know. Yeah, I mean that song. Just this. I don't want to say this album is that song because there is other really good stuff. But it, it's just man, that song is is 
something. And it's a, a song that's so good, you wish that they had been successful. Because, like, it's a lot of one-hit wonders, it's like, yeah, it was good, and I can see why. Here, it's like, you were so good. Why is this happening to you? <laughs> so, um, unless you have anything else, I think we're ready to, to rank this one, so... Mm-hmm. What are you thinking on this? Uh, I believe 13 would be appropriate. Uh, I'm not going to go there because that puts it above Emmerdale, which is a million billion times better than this. Um, I would I would do 15. Actually, oh man, I don't know. I don't think this is better than, than Morning Glory or Rubberneck. <laughs> I was just being snarky. Oh, you really? You didn't mean 13? No, I mean, I was going to fight for 13, but I thought it was, oh, just, I just I, thought it was I funnier. I can't believe you like this more than Rubberneck. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's more of like a lost, like a lost hope thing for me with this. I do like Rubberneck more as an album. So it was also, I was making a dig at Oasis by putting it above Oasis. Um, <laughs> I don't think it deserves to be that many spots above Oasis. If you really want to have a fight that this is better than Morning Glory because of the lyrics, I, I still don't agree, but like. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm fine. We can just put it above uh, Veruca Salt. It might be fine. Well, that puts it above Morning Glory. Yeah, but above everything else you wanted to keep below everything or yeah what, i mean do i don't to, I, I think this is not as good as morning glory though where do you want to put it i uh, i would be okay with I, I know i said 15 but then i i hadn't thought about oasis um i mean i don't think it's better than rubberneck mm-hmm. I, I would be okay with 18 probably 18? yeah yeah that's that's more realistic I, I still think that's like that's way higher than i would put it but like I don't have a great argument for why it shouldn't be above 50,000 BC. I think it's just a very, like, the 90s kind of thing. It is, it is, it is a... And it's the only time we're going to talk about the laws, and they'll get filtered back down into the mix. But it's... I think it's worth acknowledging it for a little bit, that it was a very good album. Yeah, it's it's very good. Um, it, It's not... Most of it is not quite my thing like i i do wish they had gotten a little bit poncier and <laughs> <at the laughs> yeah because i mean i i you know i like the stone roses a lot <laughs> i mean they're they're like more serious kinks and i really like serious kink songs so this is i don't know it just it's a it's a sound that i i wish people could do correctly and they were doing it correctly and I think that's worth appreciating because it. I think it was part of a a nostalgia essence, but not necessarily the main cause of it. That just sort of filtered through the '90s, and then got you Austin Powers. All right. Well, we will put this at number eighteen, and then have to have a reckoning about the next album because <laughs> <laughs> I also think the next album is way better than this. So. Let's, uh, with that preview, let's put this on the list and then we will come back and talk about Bjork. (laughs) 
All right, we are back for our second album of the week, which is from 1993. It is Debut by Bjork. It is the her first solo album, which is not her first solo album. <laughs> her first solo album is technically Glinglow, which was her jazz standards album that she did in 1990 um, while she was still a member of the Sugar Cubes. But, like, she called this album Debut, so... Clearly, we are not supposed to remember her other solo debut album. Mm. Um, all right, so the Sugar Cubes were a pretty fucking great band. And I watched some Sugar Cubes live videos this week. And fuck, Bjork was so good in the Sugar Cubes. It, it might have been a thing where, like, she was so much more she was such the star of that band and so much more talented than their other vocalist that um, it was hard not to see her as this just complete titan on the stage with the rest of them. But like, there was a big buzz around her and kind of a, a like, she's too good for this band kind of thing that was going that I, you know, probably somewhat figured into her going solo and also just the the other vocalist in the sugar cubes uh which i'm sure i'm not pronouncing this right but whatever um anar orn it was kind of even within the band apparently seen as like the weak link in the band <laughs> um it, I, I'm pretty sure this is one of those things where, like, I read it in a magazine, you know, 25 years ago. But I, I want to say that I actually read an interview with Bjork where she basically said, like, part of why the Sugar Cubes broke up was that they all really liked him and no one wanted to tell him that he kind of sucked and was getting in the way of the songs. <laughs> <laughs> and But but also, uh, Bjork has said that she just was not into the music that the Sugar Cubes were doing. Like, she wanted to do this. And, you know, she started in the Sugar Cubes when she was pretty young and then, you know, sort of found out more of what her actual taste was as in the course of being in that band. And, and it was this. And so eventually she kind of had to get out and do her own thing. So that happens to a lot of musicians. That's pretty normal. Like you, you're just like, oh, this is not what I wanted to do, but it helped. Yeah, like it got her in front of people, but she was just like, I like dance music. I, I'm not really that into rock music. Um, so when the Sugar Cubes went on hiatus, um, Bjork started writing these songs with Graham Massey from 808 State and was originally going to produce the album with him and another guy named Paul Fox. And then she met Nellie Hooper from Massive Attack, who also produced Soul to Soul. And it was just kind of like, oh, no, you're the person for this. And so, you know, it's pretty obvious <laughs> that, that someone from Massive Attack would, was, you know, co-producing co these songs and, and I, I imagine co-writing them to some extent, and you know, just in the sense of some of these bass lines are real-ass Massive Attack bass lines. <laughs> yeah, and they're very atypical for, like, what she'd do later, but... Yeah, it's it's funny because when this album came out, I didn't know what trip hop was, and you know I didn't know what trip hop was as a person in Arkansas until Portishead's first album came out mm. because you know Massive Attack didn't register here. Like, I mean, they did 
after Portishead when everyone suddenly knew what trip hop was and then it was like and then um mezzanine came out and and that's a great album but like prior to Portishead, nobody had heard of massive attack in arkansas and most of the u.s um so i didn't have that reference point is is what i'm getting at and um this album was kind of panned in the u.s um like it, it wasn't entirely dismissed but like if you want to have a good good laugh at a completely out of touch review go back and read the rolling stone review of this album um where it's just like man why would she leave a great rock band like the sugar cubes to do this they use the phrase electronic trickery <laughs> because synthesizers aren't real instruments and, you know, never mind that, like, a great deal of this album is, like, jazz musicians playing. It's like, there's fucking drum machines on it. This isn't real music. So it's really funny to read reviews for this and then read reviews for Post, um, it, which, you know, came out in two years later. And the music scene had changed massively. And everyone's like, oh, Bjork, who stunned the world with her amazing debut album. And it's like, motherfucker, you gave it like a one star review and said it was shitty dance music. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think this album is like if you haven't listened to it for a long time it's not nearly as like electronic as I think people remember it being. Yeah. Like, it's way, I remember way more like forward in the mix horns than anything. Well, and, and there is that, you know, yeah. it, it, but like, even I kind of like thought, cause I kind of didn't, you know, I listened to this album a ton when it came out. Like I really liked it back in the day. Um, Granted, a lot of that was that I thought Bjork's voice was like absolutely fucking incredible, which like I I don't dislike her singing now, but I definitely there was some like novelty element to me thinking <laughs> that she was that great because um, her voice definitely is like it does things certain things well that singing jazz standards is not one of those things. Oh, God. Oh, like like someone in love. I was I was sitting on the sofa, just minding my own business, playing playing Yakuza, listening to this album, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, I really like this album." And then, like, someone in love happens, and I was like, "You can't sing jazz." No, it's it's but well, so like she kind of she does well with the like exotica stuff, which yeah. I guess is not so much jazz standards. Like, someone in love is is very standardy and i mean i think it actually literally is a jazz standard um but so like later the stuff toward the end of the album like one day and airplane like she does a good job on those mm -hmm. i think uh, especially one day is like it, the production is really perfect on that album or on that song because like it sound that song sounds like super lush but it's like it, it's not like a ton of overdubs like she has a delay effect on her voice and that does a whole lot of the work of making it sound as like expansive as it is um and then it has like you know a slinky nelly hooper bass line that that works really well there's like a lot of chromatic percussion on this album yes lots of lots of xylophone and played in the lower register yeah it was just something about that song it was just it, it was I think the way that like someone in love is done is very indicative of things that Bjork continues to do that it makes me not want to listen to Bjork. I think that some of 
what you dislike about her is similar to what you dislike about Joanna Newsom too. Very exactly the same. Like it does, <laughs> they it, both is there... squeak in a way that that I think you find painful that I that I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I I think I think they both have great voices. It's just I can't listen to them. I can't listen to their voices, and that's I'm gonna have to live with that one. But like, and that's why I don't begrudge anyone their love of squeaky voices. But oof. Yeah, um, so the first song in the album, Human Behavior, was also the first single, and it has, like, a, a video by Michelle Gondry that, that like, I vividly remember watching. Um, I, I grew up in a town that, that did not allow MTV to be on its cable, so I had to go to the drummer in my band. We had to drive to his his dad's house, like, a town over where they were allowed to have MTV, and so we would do that every Friday night and watch, uh, um, shit, what, 120 minutes. And that video got like massive play on 120 minutes. And so that was the first time I heard it, it actually wasn't cause I'd heard the sugar cubes before cause hit was a big hit. And, and that was like on the radio around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know that it was the same person. It like, it was actually a while before I found out that Bjork was the, person who was saying sing on hit <laughs> um and then then i got into the sugar cubes too um but so human behavior is like really fucking weird compared to the rest of this album mm-hmm. like it's kind of a weird song anyway but it like it feels like it was written it kind of almost feels like a philosophy of momus thing whereas like maybe the album was originally supposed to sound like this but then she did one song and got it out of her system and the rest of the album is like completely different yeah because it's it's kind of like trip hop but it's like the most undanceable trip like you you can't imagine someone dancing to human behavior or if you can it's like you know someone like stomping through the woods which is what the video is it's like a big stuffed teddy bear mauling people in the woods um and voring bjork at, at the end of the video is that the first vor reference on this show yeah congratulations awesome put in the sirens she uh so she wrote the lyrics to that song as a teenager and it shows yeah that's the other thing i have to say about human human behavior um so like the next song after that crying is like way more that's where it feels like the album actually starts because human behavior sounds so completely unlike anything else on the album Mm mm-hmm and it's just like a hard turn in the house music and, and then it pretty much stays house music and jazz and trip hop for the rest of the record. Um, how do you feel about Venus as a boy since you don't like like someone in love? Uh it's Venus Venus as a boy is right on the edge. Yeah. But it's it's better. I I think I think it just musically is better and it's not as just I think there's violins and like someone in love and that I mean a uh, harp or something. Yeah, it's it's all harp. I think that's why. I, I think I hate the harp as a solo you hate instrument. The harp and squeaky voice singers. We've we've figured it out. I, I I was I was going to learn how to play the harp. I think maybe I just have this like deep set rage about that. <laughs> but yeah, no, Venus is a boy, it's like right on the edge. It's like it's the most it's it, it that's the threshold before she moves over into whatever she's doing now that I haven't even tried to engage with. Uh 
You should listen to Utopia and see how you feel about it. That okay. album, I think that album is like kind of a masterpiece. I will. I will. Uh, but yeah, it's just I struggle. I struggle, Bjork, because I, I really appreciate everything that she's doing. It's just that I, I don't like the presentation. <laughs> well, it's so she had not hit her like hanging out with Matthew Barney like pretentious peak mm. on, on this. And that's really, I think, why I like this album most. Yeah, I, I don't... Um, I mean, it's definitely not my favorite. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, Utopia might actually be my favorite Bjork album these days. But uh, it, there's it, this album kind of feels almost more like a singles collection than, like, something really cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, my... That's one thing that's going to keep me from, like, ranking it super high is that there's a ton of talent and really good songwriting and really good production, but it's kind of, like, it has the feeling of somebody who was in a band she wasn't that happy with and then just exploded creatively after getting out of that band, but exploded in too many different directions. Yeah, like, which, I mean, that's kind of been a through line for a lot of her music, that she just, she follows where her inspiration goes in a very hard turn, and then you're doing that all over one album. And it's not really as hard turn as later stuff, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, I don't, I'm going to try as I go forward as an adult to reassess Bjork and try to like her music she is she's kind of like morrissey for me i kind of have to separate her from her music which is actually harder for me to do with with bjork than it is with morrissey because until recently like the shitty things about morrissey kind of didn't this is one of those things i'm gonna say it and then as i'm saying it i'm thinking about people yelling what the fuck at me but like the shitty things about morrissey until recently didn't creep into his music as much um you know there was stuff like bengalian platforms and, and it's natural, like natural fun disco yeah but i'm but i mean his there was always it wasn't so overt it, well what i what i mean by that is like the morrissey character and the guy who plays the morrissey character were easier to separate for me Mm -hmm. because the morrissey character is like funny you know he's he's the the guy you love to hate whereas as opposed to the real guy who you just hate yeah and bjork i don't feel like it's i bjork may be really fucking pretentious but i feel like she i feel like that is 100 percent her i don't think there is any act to to her being this pretentious weirdo no and that's one of the reasons that i wish i appreciated a whole lot her music more because i really do appreciate her as an art piece of a person it's it's just sometimes you wish you liked things more because it feels like something you should like well and and so it's not it's actually not as pronounced on this album i think because the music is not quite as ambitious as as her Mm -hmm. later stuff would be but like she is definitely a case of like genius musician not that great a lyricist like her her lyrics are kind of functional at best a lot of the time and a lot of times like why i would call her pretentious as opposed to just an unqualified genius is that 
she does fall down on lyrics and a lot of times like the shit she's singing is like not nearly as profound as she thinks it is yeah just and you definitely get some of that on i mean like human behavior yes like perhaps other people would have thought better of including a song they wrote when they were a teenager which is like (laughs) humans are so strange and i'm such a weird little forest creature who just can't understand emotions okay so that might have been her thesis statement (laughs) <laughs> like you're not that weird <laughs> you're, you're not literally an alien from another planet um and and like i think that where she really nails it lyrically like i think the song big time sensuality is really good mm-hmm. um and i thought that even before i read up on it because obviously that song a song called big time sensuality you think is romantic but she said it's actually like a song about like that she gets that she has like it's like a song about her not having boundaries <laughs> that like it's actually about her friends and how like she just has like insane like primal like just unbridled emotions and if she liked someone it's just like you are the coolest fucking person ever oh my god <laughs> and, like, and so like I, I think the like i really like the like the pre-chorus line it, it takes courage to enjoy it the hardcore and the gentle big time sensuality like i think that's a nice little phrase yeah which is about as much as i am gonna give her as a lyricist is like <laughs> there's some nice little phrases in there it it she's she's a little up her own ass about <laughs> about her lyrics like the music can carry that and and justify being up your own ass but the lyrics are just not not there most of the time <laughs> Um, a song that I I want to give special attention to because it's production wise one of my it's like my weird favorite on the album is uh, There's More to Life Than This mm. which is supposedly live no it's not they just faded the mix out and put walking around yeah like, I, like, no. it, so on the CD or at least the original release of the CD on that song it said live from the milk bar toilets which I think makes way more sense because on Spotify it just says live. <laughs> it says, yeah, um, the live version. Because which... the second verse starts with her like going into a bathroom stall and like singing. It, like It's like she runs off stage and runs into a bathroom stall and sings the first like two lines of the second verse and then runs back out on stage. Like it's it's recorded like she's like running around the venue and like is is instead of presiding from the stage is so like yeah it's it might have been a live recording originally that they overdub but like she's like right up against the mic like squeaking into it on the on the second verse like that's not live but like that's really cool and i love the way it's produced it you know it's Again, second second moments reference of the week it's like the ultra conformist it's like a fake live album which is like a kind of a cool idea. Yeah, it just it, he, she does way more with it than the altered conformist does with it. But I, I just don't. I, I don't like it. I like the ultra conformist more. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's that's like the difference in our taste to some extent. I I like the ultra conformist too, but it, but that's like a straight up cabaret album. So yeah, you're gonna like that one. And and I like the weird girl. I'm getting singing in the so... bathroom. <laughs> I, I'm getting read to filth over here, y'all. <laughs> but, hey, we get to do the ultra conformist on this show eventually. True. 
then I get to put it at the top of the list and we stop the show. <laughs> that is not the best moments album. Not gonna the best album of the nineties. Not the best moments album of the nineties. Anyway, um let's see. So yeah, I mean I think that covers it mostly. I also want to say that like I think the the anchor song is just like fucking gorgeous. I do like the anchor song. It's so pretty. It like it just that's one of the songs that just like kills me. It's so pretty. There's I have a I'm not sure if I still have it. I might have just ripped the ripped it and then sold it back in the day, but I had a single where she does the the anchor song on solo harpsichord <laughs> instead oh. of like horns like it is on and the album version, and I might have liked that even more. I haven't listened to it in a long time, though. Well, so damn it, don't don't lead in with harpsichords, because it's like, hey, Jen, you must listen to the thing with harpsichords. Indeed, I must. <laughs> well, I know I at least have an MP3 of it. It was it was one of the singles. I don't remember which one now. It might have been Violently Happy, but it was like the single, and then all the B sides were all solo harpsichord versions of the songs from this album. Oh my gosh, that's. Put harpsichord in your music, I'll give you a time of day. So hey, hey harpsichord is cool. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean my closing statement is like I do think this is like a great album, mm-hmm. but also it's so all over the place that it's not it's not even Bjork's first form at this point. So it... Yeah, it it's very embryonic for lack of a better word of like what she would go on to like i don't really feel like she hits full bjork until you know maybe the third album um because like post is is similarly all over the place like it's more trip-hop focused but it's it's still kind of like she wasn't quite able to like have the thematic certainty that she has now yeah Okay, so ranking, um, I'm, I'm looking at the rankings here, I'm thinking about where I can put it without too much of a fight. Um, I would probably go fifteen. Which would put it between Flood and Eight Arms to Hold You. That's fine. Okay. That's that's less fight than I expected. <laughs> no fight is, is is I I kind of expected you to hate this more than, than you did. Well, the thing is it's like it's it's not the version of the music some some of I have had to turn Bjork off because I just it was starting to irritate me in a way that is not great. It was like a very buzzy irritation. Um but I really want everyone to know that I really do appreciate what she does. And, it, and I think that I w- was going to be hard on this album if I wasn't firmly in check about that reality. But, like, I appreciate this as good. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's it's really good and it's not, you know, the title is misleading because even if you ignore her first solo album, that she seems to ignore like it's not her debut because she made three albums with the sugar cubes before this (laughs) um so it like it's not just like this thing that fell out of the sky and like oh my god who is this who was this insane genius you know you kind of knew that she was 
insane and at least a really iconoclastic powerful singer um but you weren't sure if she could like break out of the sort of kitschy you know poppy alt rock that the sugar cubes did and then and then she did and did something completely different and more serious and and like not as weird but but like more mature and it, it was really good and she went on to become you know become the little pixie who beat the shit out of a reporter yeah <laughs> so all right so that puts uh number 15 between flood and eight arms to hold you which i think is good and um go ahead and read off the top 10 uh number 10 is earthling by david bowie number nine kill uncle by morrissey Number eight, Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Number seven, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number six is Spooky by Lush. Number five, Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, The Philosophy of Momus. Number three, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And at number one, Nonsuch by HTC. Um, if you want to see our complete rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. You can also go on Spotify and search for our official show playlist, as well as every episode of the show. And uh, what album are you going to be adding to the playlist next week, Katie? Uh, the 1991 Blur album, Leisure. Yay. Um, is that the one with the woman with the swim cap on, yes. It, on yes, the yes. cover? Okay, I thought so. I'm going to do some filling out the bottom of the list for next week. Mm. <laughs> um, you'll see why. Um uh, I'll I won't say anything more about it until next week. But um, I'm doing Lucky Dumpling by Moonpoles and Caterpillars, which I didn't check to see if that's on Spotify. If not, I have it. Um, yeah, it's it's on it's on Spotify. Okay, <laughs> we'll get to talk about what happens when you're not as good as the cranberries, but sing like the Lars Ulrich anyway. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's our. That's what you have to look forward to next week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. I think I'm done. You got anything else to say? No, I think I'm good. All right. Let's go back to our video games. Yes.